Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. This has been a crazy weather week. Uh, Most of the United States is in a deep freeze. We've had snow where we don't usually get snow and lots and lots of snow where we usually get some snow. It's been cold in the Northeast, but coincidentally, this is not one of the coldest areas. And it has been just, uh, just devastating for most of you out there. And my heart goes out to you for people without power, for people who are struggling, especially for people dependent on any kind of life-saving or life-continuing technology. I remember when Elizabeth was with us, you know, what the what the world was like for her, um, for her needing an oxygen pump. Um, uh, we used a, like a concentrator. Um, things have changed so much in the last few years. So I know it's different now, but then um, we of course needed our G-tube and um, nebulizer and just um, suction machine and this and that and the other thing. And of course, you know, trying to keep warm we could never have a house that didn't have heat the um you know the fact of the matter was that elizabeth could not regulate her temperature like a normal human being would a normal adult would um we would have a complete emergency if we lost power for more than half a day in our house so I don't know, you know, what we would do. Uh, we did not have a generator. I never could really get that done. And um, I don't know if it was not having a spouse or not ever having enough money or just always being under the gun. And it always felt like we went and moved from one crisis to the next crisis to the next crisis. I don't know if you all feel or or can appreciate what that's like but these kind of weather emergencies just bring back a lot of memories for me uh so again my heart goes out to all of you i hope that you guys had a great uh valentine's day despite all of this horrible weather that we're experience experiencing um it can be uh, kind of a traumatic, uh, difficult time on top of everything else, having to stay home and needing to deal with, again, all of this crisis on top of everything else. So now turning to some positive news, um, things have changed so much in my business life, I did want to just take a minute to reflect on that. We are halfway through the second month of the year, and I've been thinking about, you know, what things look like in 2021. I set some goals and then had a little bit of a reset twice already since the new year started, but it has been so interesting. And 
In this month of doing podcasts about love and relationships and really kind of focusing on that self-love aspect, which I am so digging the podcast episodes that I've been recording, it has been phenomenal. The guests that I have had have been great and it it's been so eye-opening for me. I love this journey I'm on. I am so excited that you're on this journey with me. I hope that you're enjoying, enjoying the trip as well. I am getting great questions and I'm really enjoying the messaging that I'm getting as well. Um, so keep it up. I wanted to just tell you about this experience that I am having in my work life. So I've had in 2020, almost 100% turnover in my two businesses that I'm running, plus my, my side business, which is doing all of this communications work that I do. And that might sound horrific. And in a way it is, I miss the people that have left or the people that, um, that I've parted ways with. At the same time, it's an opportunity, right? And what that looks like is it's, it's just occurred to me that I am starting almost a startup business at this point. And that gives me the opportunity to start fresh and do something new and take things in a direction, a different direction. And darn, that was exciting. That was so exciting to me. As I had that epiphany, I could not contain myself. I got so jazzed by that and the creativity the the um the creative side of me just went nuts and i started uh writing things out on these big sticky pieces of paper that i have that i put up on my wall they're humongous they're like post-it notes on steroids and i'm very visual so i like to write things out and i i just went bananas um sort of charting out what 2021, 2022, 2023, all the way up through 2025 looks like. And I am just completely jazzed about this. Um, our clients, our customers, our referral sources, our resources, our community are so tight. And this is a humongous opportunity. I, I cannot tell you how excited I am. So I'm, I'm thrilled you're taking this journey with me. And this podcast is just part of it. And so today's episode was, uh, was another phenomenal discussion about self-care and I loved it. So I want to tell you that, again, I have not spent a lot of time in my life taking care of myself. 
I've spent a lot of time thinking about taking care of myself and putting that aside as an unlikely event as something that is just not not going to get done. Um, in fact, I took pride in putting myself last. I always thought that was exactly what I needed to do. I always thought, ah, if I go to bed exhausted after taking care of everybody else and working my fingers to the bone and, you know, putting in a 15, 16, 17 hour day. Yeah, that's the ticket. That's something to be proud of. Now I can, I can put my head on the pillow and I can say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going straight to heaven. This is the person that I was meant to be. This is who I was raised to be. Yeah. I just don't want to do that anymore. I I don't want to be proud of that. I'm not proud of that. That is not what I want to model for my daughter, Caroline. That is not what I want to model for my community. I want to model taking care of myself. I want to model taking care of other people. I want to really be a great figure in our community in the sense that I want to be healthy, I want to be strong, I want to be supportive, um, and I want to be a great advocate, and I want to get things done, but in a sensitive and balanced way. So this week's guest, a doctor, a primary care physician, she has it all together, and she made me proud. So let's talk about healthy aging with Dr. Vivian Brown. She has eight proven ways to keep you vibrant, happy, and strong. And her book was an easy read. I so enjoyed it. Um, It was, you know, it wasn't written in a condescending way. It wasn't written in in all of these jargon terms and catchphrases and this and that, it was like having a conversation with your girlfriend, which I really thoroughly enjoyed because sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, but going to the doctor can be such a drag, right? Because you know what they're going to say, lose weight, drink less, get some exercise and you don't need it. You don't need to hear it because you know what you need to do, but you can't get it done. So what you really want is practical advice. Tell me how. Tell me how I'm going to do it. And also, I want the why. I want the behind the scenes why. So Dr. Brown explains all of that to you. And three of the chapters, we go into detail in the podcast. And I found extremely fascinating, although the whole book was great, but brain health. So I know personally, one of my fears, so huge uh, dementia, I don't want to lose my mind, right? Um, People are living longer and they are 
you know, experiencing dementia as they are living longer and, and living to older ages. And I have this horrible fear of losing my mind and not take, not being able to take care of myself. And I don't know if you, if you're afraid of that as well, but oh my God, I'm so scared of that. Um, now February is heart health month and also Valentine's day is, um, known for, um, heart, um, heart disease and, and, um, in heart health as well. So, uh, we did talk about that happy Valentine's day, maintaining heart health. And we talked about why heart disease looks different in women than in men. And so that was excellent. We talked about sleep. We talked about exercise. We talked about diet. Um, it, and it was, it was a great conversation. I really, want to impress upon you that the stress that we are under as parents and caregivers of all types of people with disabilities and the elderly is ginormous. And we more so than ever need to be mindful and thoughtful about taking care of ourselves. So I shared some personal stories in this podcast about the kinds of things that I dealt with as my children were growing up, and I hope that that helps. Please do message me. Let me know if you're enjoying this content. I really, really, really would appreciate any ratings and reviews that you would be willing to share with us. It will help get this podcast content out to the people that need it. It is so important, so important. And if you are so inclined, please do share this podcast with your friends. It is getting out there to lots and lots of people. The downloads keep increasing every month, and I am so grateful for that. But it could do more. It could do better. And this year, I want the podcast to explode As we creep up to our 100th episode, I cannot even believe it. It's just about 100 episodes now. Please do take care of yourselves and each other. Love you all. Thank you so much for listening in. And here we go. Okay, welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. And we are back during our Valentine's month. We are talking about love, 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 and I am so excited to be talking about self-love again today. And why am I talking about self-love? Because I am talking about the new Women's Guide to Healthy Aging. Hooray. Welcome, Dr. Vivian Brown. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Thank you, Annette. It's really a pleasure to be here. So this book was really fantastic, and I have to say, first and foremost, thank you so much for writing a book in plain English that was easy to read and easy to understand. Um, I do a lot of reading and I am really drawn to, especially since I turned 50, drawn to things that are of interest in, I've been trying to work on myself and trying to work on a healthier me 
not everything is written in comforting language in um, easy to understand language. And I, I get kind of partway into something and I'm struggling with it. So I will often, you know, put stuff aside if it's too difficult and, and I'm struggling with it. So thank you so much for, for putting, you know, really easy to digest chapters together. I'm sure that you could have written a treatise on each chapter for us uh, yeah. because of your brilliance, but it, it it's nice for us to be able to put some good lessons together for ourselves. So thank you for that. Thank you. You know, I, I wanted this to be somewhat conversational and a number of my patients have told me they could hear my voice as they read the book. Uh, I, I wanted it to be me talking to you, not you reading some encyclopedia on health. I totally could see that. I felt as if I had met you and that you could have been my doctor. So I really appreciate that. And even though I didn't know this about you personally, I could see that you were a family doctor and yeah. that you were used to just talking with your patients about these issues on a day-to-day -day basis. So nice. It was so nice. And trying to make the medicine understandable. The data is very important. The science is very important. Um, but if it's not understandable, if you don't know why you're doing something, it's very hard to make changes in your life or to follow a certain program. So I really wanted women to feel empowered and women to feel that they understood the issues and then it's easier to make decisions to follow up on healthy choices. And, and isn't it true that every woman's why is going to be different too? I mean, we're not going to do it because the data tells us to. Somebody, some person's going to do it because their their because of their children, because they want to be there for their children. Somebody else is going to do it because they want to be there for their spouse or every person's why is going to be a little different, isn't it, Dr. Brown? Absolutely. You want to connect with what you want, the changes you want to make in your life or the decisions you want to make because it matters to you. And it may matter to you for a very different reason than it matters to somebody else. You know, I think about when women try to decide whether to quit smoking or not. The data says quit smoking. Everybody knows that. Everybody's heard that. That's not new, uh, new information. But all of a sudden, if a woman's trying to get pregnant and decides, you know, that this is important, all of a sudden it means something very different when she's trying to protect the baby that she's carrying. You know, so people have different attitudes to their own health at different times of life. So in our audience, we're an audience full of caregivers and professionals who work with caregivers and sometimes professionals who are caregivers. <laughs> so for us, you know, a lot of times that why is that we want to be there for our family member that we are taking care of. We don't right. want to let them down. And very often we forget that we need to care about ourselves too. And that's why I've been so committed to this month's podcasts and wanting to do some, some topics, some episodes about really digging in for ourselves. Yeah. And so excited to talk to you about this today. So, so Annette, I, I'm going to share the most important point first. So if someone's not able to hear the whole podcast or gets distracted or has something else, 
I think the most important point of the book and of my discussion with you today is that when women take care of themselves, it's not being selfish, it's being selfless. Because if you do take care of yourself, then you will be strong and able to care for the other people that you care about. And you know, we, we hear that when we fly on a plane and they tell us this um, information at the beginning when the flight attendant says the oxygen comes down, you put it on yourself and then you'll be able to put it on the person beside you. If you don't take care of yourself, you, you won't be here to take care of everybody else. Yeah. And so I really encourage women not to think about time for themselves as being selfish. I should be doing this or that or the other thing. You need to carve out that time because that's you being selfless. So we don't have good modeling for that, right? Though I don't think we do. I think we have to make that model for ourselves and understanding that that's what we need to do so that we can be strong and independent and energetic as we get into our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. We have to think about our own parents and did our parents, especially our mothers, model for us good health and also what it was like to be a happy, healthy woman of this good age. Health. And good choices, you know, sometimes, sometimes health has uh, other implications and is also involved with the choices that you make. And I certainly don't think that my mother modeled that for me, not through any fault of her own, but she didn't have a good model either. So I want to, I want to break that cycle. I want to change that cycle for my daughter. Which I think is just so important you know, I think education and understanding and modeling behavior is really important as we as we looked at uh, Kamala Harris standing up and modeling what you can achieve. I think in the health world, we need to do that as well. Oh, this is why I loved your book. And I'm so glad you're here today. So you have eight chapters and eight very important factors for good health. And we're not going to get to all of them, but I am going to list out what they are. Diet and nutrition, exercise and sleep, the aging brain, vaccines, so timely, um, middle age and menopause, which I unfortunately am experiencing, um, happy Valentine's Day, heart health, bone health, and healthy sexuality, all such, oh my God, I sunk my teeth into every single chapter as I was ripping through the pages is such a fantastic book. And since I know that we can't really get to everything, and I hope to have you back someday so we can talk through all of these things. I really want to start off with happy Valentine's Day heart health, because I really want you to talk to us about why so many women die of heart disease, because it seems so unnecessary. Well, just, just to lay the groundwork in North America, so Canada and the US, heart and stroke is still the number one killer. More so than cancers, more so than COVID, it's still heart and stroke. And what we know is we know that unfortunately, women are often diagnosed later in the process of having heart disease. Mm -hmm. 
They don't necessarily experience the same kind of pain that men experience. So they may have, you know, extreme fatigue, or they may have very heavy arms, or they may feel very anxious having palpitations. And sometimes they come to the physician and they may be misdiagnosed as being anxious or tired or something else. And sometimes they don't come to the doctor and they just feel it's not important. So one of the important features about heart disease in women is that it needs to be identified as early as possible. Because when we know about a risk, then we have various maneuvers to mitigate that risk, to decrease that risk. But if we don't know that someone is at risk, then of course, we're not, we're not as aggressive in the same kind of way. Yeah, sure. Now, also when women get diagnosed later with heart disease, statistically, they're less likely to get bypass surgery. They do worse. They're more likely to have uh, poor outcomes in the long run. That's partly due to women being different sizes. You know, smaller blood vessels may make it harder to do bypass, but there's all kinds of um, academic scientific reasons why early pickup is better. And when we talk about early pickup, what we're really talking about is minimizing your residual risk. So lowering that risk for either another episode, if you've already had a heart attack, or lowering your risk for heart disease in general. And so in the book, I talk a lot about the risk factors for heart disease. You know, you can't change your genetics. You can't change what you were born with. You can't change getting older. But you absolutely can change your diet. You can change whether you smoke or not. And one of the things that's really important in terms of heart disease is blood pressure. And unfortunately, even when women are diagnosed, and I would say that this is true with men as well, people often don't believe the diagnosis because they don't feel anything. So hypertension or high blood pressure is one of those things we don't feel. So yes. is it really happening? Yes. Then when people are prescribed medication, they don't really want to be on it. So right. they don't always follow through and take it properly. And they don't understand that as your blood pressure goes up, essentially your risk for stroke goes up. So keeping blood pressure at a normal, a normal level, whatever your age is a little bit variable for different age groups is so important to reduce your risk of stroke. Okay. Stroke is one of those things that, you know, when we talk about healthy aging and independence, a major stroke and your quality of life is never the same. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So blood pressure, which is sort of a, a, a very simple, uh, a simple concept. Um, you know, people can buy a home cuff and do it at home or your Apple watch can tell you your blood pressure, or you can go into a pharmacy and get your blood pressure. The bottom line is those numbers are really important. And if you are on medication, it's really important to take it properly. And often with blood pressure, as time goes on, you need more medications. So maybe not a higher dose of what you're on. You may need a second drug or a third drug. And people are very reluctant to be on three drugs for, for blood pressure because mm -hmm. they're not feeling it until it's too late. Do you think that doctors are still um, not paying as close attention to these issues in women? I wouldn't make a general comment about doctors. It depends on who you see. Mm -hmm. And we know, for example, that female doctors spend more time with patients than male doctors on an individual basis. They just generally have spend more time per patient than male doctors. 
We know that if you go into the emergency and you're treated by a female cardiologist, your outcome is going to be better. Let's turn that question around and let's give our audience some empowering uh, suggestions to advocate for themselves if they're not feeling well and they head into the ER or they head in even just to have a conversation with their primary care physician. How can they advocate for themselves in a way that their concerns get heard? I think one of the ways to advocate is to be open to hear what are my risk factors? Maybe my genetics are good. Maybe I'm, I'm relatively young and I never smoked. Well, what are the risk factors I should be paying attention to? And those would include cholesterol, diet, diabetes, blood pressure. Okay, if those are my risk factors, what are my targets? Mm-hmm. What is my target blood pressure? What is my target cholesterol? What is my target weight? Because weight has an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what you want to do is be asking the questions to your physician to be clear that you understand there's some work for you to do if your diagnosis is cardiac. And if your diagnosis is not cardiac, then why are you feeling unwell? What are the other things that could be affecting you? So I'm going to specifically talk about myself. When my daughter was still alive and I was caring for her, one of the issues that I had was getting out of the house and exercising was a huge issue for me. There wasn't a lot of time for that. I had irregular sleep patterns because I would be up all night caring for her. And I was very depressed all the time. And I was really having difficulty with um, eating my sadness. So it gained a lot of weight. I mean, all of those things happening to me masked a lot of other things, uh, a lot of health issues. So I think, you know, many people in my situation as special needs moms um, have difficulty separating out what's going on with them as a special needs mom versus, you know, um, sort of their, these healthcare issues that they may be having. So we're sort of in a category of our own. How can we help ourselves when we've got all these other things going on? What are the special things that we can do? Well, first of all, I think it's so generous of you to share your own story. I, I do appreciate that because it's authentic and it is something that affected you so deeply. I think what we as physicians would like is an individual to decide to do one thing, make one change that you can stick with, and that's going to have an impact. So for example, in the situation that you're describing, maybe what you wanted to do was do some kind of Zoom exercise class three times a week. Maybe you couldn't get out of the house without someone caring for your daughter. Maybe it was too hard to go to a gym or a class or whatever. But maybe you could do something on your own two, three to four times a week. And if you were consistent with that, that would start to reduce your heart disease risk. Mm, that's so we don't expect everybody to be perfect. And, you know, I think it's I think it's an unfair burden to put on an individual to say, you must do this. You must do this. You must do this. 
it's, it's easy after someone has a heart attack, they get a loop bag from the hospital with the drugs they need to go on, they go to cardiac rehab, and all of a sudden, they're doing everything because they've been so frightened by the episode. But for an average person looking at general long term health, start mm -hmm. by making one change and sticking with it. That's amazing. That's really great advice. Just making one change. Um, that doesn't seem so overwhelming. Yeah. And, and you know, Annette, what I've told uh, some women in my practice, no question about it, is if you can only make one change, the most important change in terms of heart disease is to stop smoking. Okay. And su surprisingly, lots of women smoke. The lung cancer is going up in women because women smoke. And women may not smoke in the usual ways. They may only smoke when they go out with their girlfriends, or they may only smoke in the car when they get to be alone for 10 minutes, yeah. or they may smoke, you know, once the kids are in bed, because they finally have a chance to wind down. And so when you ask a woman, do you smoke? She'll say, mm, no, not really. Uh, uh, That's not good enough. Right? I want to know if you smoke at all, because even one to two cigarettes per day doubles your risk of a heart attack, of heart disease. Well, so if Who's ever listening, if you can only make one, make one change to your health, the one that's going to have the greatest impact is going to be to stop smoking. That's amazing. I'll tell you one of the biggest changes that I made. Um, well, I lost a lot of weight, but I didn't do it until after my daughter passed. Um, but for me, it was drinking. The drinking caught up with me. And I, I have a lot of girlfriends who were stuck at home and that one or two glasses of wine a week became one or two glasses of wine a night. And before I knew it, it was polishing off like a bottle yeah. because I was stuck. I was lonely. I was bored and the stress was getting to me and I couldn't sleep. Yeah. And alcohol is a vicious cycle. And you don't, I didn't learn that until I started working with a nutritionist who clued me in about how alcohol really is a sleep disruptor. I want to talk to you about sleep, actually. Can we, can we go into the whole sleep sure. thing? Because you've got some great information about sleep in your book too. Well, you, you've just made a, a huge point because alcohol is high in calories. It's a depressant. It doesn't, it, it, it decreases anxiety, but it is a depressant. And unfortunately, it is a huge sleep disruptor. So people do worse, and then they drink more because they feel worse. So it does become a downward spiral, just as you described. You know, women can safely have four to five ounces of alcohol per day about, and you could even do that every day. Um, most women don't do that. Most women, if they have a small glass of wine, want a second or even a third. And so I think we have to be very clear yeah, when when women choose to drink, um, I'll tell them if you want to drink on a Friday night or a Saturday night when you're out with your friends or with your partner, then okay, have two, but don't do that every night, right? If you're drinking more than four to six ounces at a sitting, then you can only do that twice to three times a week because the maximum for women is seven to nine servings per week. And that doesn't mean having all of them on a Saturday night and getting getting blitzed. Uh, yeah. which is going to be damaging for your health. Um, it, it's a problem because with COVID, we've also seen women being very isolated at home 
And we have seen the intake of alcohol increasing dramatically. Yeah, it's, it's very, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of sugar in alcohol. There's a lot of issues with alcohol. If you think about it, a serving of alcohol, so even just four ounces of wine is like a piece of bread and butter. It's a carb and a fat. And so if you're having the carb and you're having the fat and then you have another, and then you have another, are you surprised that you start to put on weight? I think we're fooling ourselves that the grapes are good for us. (laughs) In small amounts, four ounces of red wine, that's it. (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh, but I I used to tell myself that, oh, it's red wine. It's awesome. I'm Italian. Of course, this is good for me. I mean, we grew up on this stuff. Um, And in Italy, you do see people drinking at lunch and at dinner, but they tend to have very small servings. Yes. That's you know, true. you see the that in France are very, well. very small. They really are small. very yeah. small servings, smaller glasses. You know, we don't have the oversized serving that we do in North America. Yes. Well, in America, everything is big. Everything. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit more about sleep and how important yeah. sleep is. So there's no question that sleep is really important. And in medicine, we're starting to realize that insomnia or poor sleep in and of itself is a medical problem. You don't also have to have chronic pain or sleep apnea or anxiety or depression. Just having insomnia is going to affect your health and you really do need treatment for that. You're gonna be less productive the next day. You're going to have uh, poor coordination, poor focus, increased car accidents, you know, all of the things that come when people are chronically sleep deprived. And so as physicians, we start out with what's now called sleep hygiene, which is really getting into a good routine. Yeah. So and cool. we, we did that when we were mothers with small babies. What is sleep hygiene? It's getting into a routine. It's right. feeding the baby, giving the baby a bath, maybe rocking the baby or reading a story as kids got a little bit older and going to bed. And that routine of doing the same thing at the same time every night becomes very comforting. Well, as adults, we should be doing the same thing. We should be setting that routine so that we have that wind up, winding down time. And that then when we go to our bed, it's meant for sleep. Um, people often have their computers on their, on their laps in mm-hmm. bed. They've got all kinds of paperwork around them. They're reading for work in bed. And what happens is you're so wound up that you don't have that winding down time. So when we talk about sleep hygiene, it's keeping your bed, not for entertainment. It is keeping your bed for sexual function, obviously, but really keeping your bed for sleep, not for work, not for an argument, not for watching TV, Mm -hmm. not for being stimulated, You know, I tell people to read a boring book, not the latest, you know, John Grisham novel. Right. You want to read something that's not getting you all wound up. Right, right. Because you need that winding down time and you want your clock not to face you. So you're not looking at this screen of the clock time all night long saying, oh, no, I'm still not asleep. You need your room dark. You need your room cool, not overly cold, but not overly hot. And you need that routine to sort of be a standard for you. So we tell people to go to bed at the same time on the weekend and get up at the same time. 
going to bed very late and getting up very late is not really good sleep hygiene. Really? So there's no catching up on your sleep in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays? Not, not really. For some people, it will trigger migraine headaches. Wow. You know, within an hour, two, an hour probably doesn't make much of a difference. But if you always get up at 7 a.m., you should get up at 7 or 8 a.m. because your sleep, your sleep cycle won't be disturbed when you go to sleep on Saturday night. Dr. Brown, who the heck sleeps until 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning? That's crazy. I don't know what your world is like. <laughs> My world is very busy. Uh, I tend to get up at 6, yes. sometimes earlier. So right. sleeping until 7 or 8 sounds reasonably good. Um, that, that's, that's very late. I can't even imagine sleeping that late. I mean, that would be insane. But some people stay up till two in the morning and want to get up at 10 or 11. And that's not healthy in terms of sleep hygiene to yeah. do that some nights and not do that other nights. So you want the same pattern night after night. That's yeah. the, the point of it is, is that you get into a routine so that you're able to go to sleep. I couldn't even imagine um, going to bed that late either, though. So um, I know one of the other topics that I really wanted to talk to you about was brain health. Mm -hmm. So that was a great chapter. So, Thank you. Uh, and as we get older, we worry so much about brain health. And so you hear a lot about how stress impacts your brain. And yeah. um, I know that when I was caring for Elizabeth, my daughter, and in the in the worst of it, you know, the last year of her life, I tell you, the stress was so overwhelming. I don't think I could remember my name half the time. It was so bad. Um, what, let's talk to us a little bit about what's in that chapter. So, so let me just talk about stress for a moment because there's, Phenomenal research on stress and its impact, not just on your emotional health, but on your physical health. And what we know, <clears throat> and we know this because Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn out of San Francisco in 2009 got the Nobel Prize for this work. She evaluated telomeres and telomeres are the caps on the ends of chromosomes, sort of like your rain hat and rain boots on the ends of chromosomes. Chromosomes keep dividing as we age and telomeres are supposed to protect those chromosomes. Well, what she wanted to see is she wanted to see the impact of stress on how our chromosomes were able to survive, basically looking at the impact of stress on aging. She took two groups of women. One group had healthy children and one group had chronically ill children. Her group with the chronically ill children was her metaphor or her example of people with chronic stress. And what she was able to show was that the people with chronic stress ended up having telomeres that were functionally and anatomically 10, 10 years older than the people with healthy children. Mm -hmm. And so one of the most important things though about her study, which I think is sometimes overlooked, is it wasn't just how ill the child was, it was the mother's perception of stress. So if you perceived you were under tremendous stress, your telomeres were aging quicker. Whereas if you were coping with that chronic stress, 
your telomeres were not aging as rapidly. And chronic stress and telomeres affects brain health. So when we look at stress having an impact on brain aging, what we know is that we want to decrease our stress through various means so that we decrease how rapidly our brains are aging. Okay. So So you're saying, let me just stop there and make sure I understand. You're saying that her study showed not just that the stress has that impact, but that you can manage the stress and that by managing the stress, you can manage the impact. So, because that's it, right, it was, it's, it's your perception of the stress that is right. having the impact, not just the stress itself. That's right, because your situation may be very stressful, but you are managing it well and you don't perceive it as that stress level. So, it wasn't just how sick the child was, it was the mother's perception of stress. Were there supports in place? Was she able to cope? Was her health good? You know, lots of things affect our perception of stress. You know, what was happening with her partner, you know, or with the other people in her life. So it was perception of stress, not just the absolute amount of stress that had an impact on aging. So I remember that because that study was used to provide support for the fact that if the community supports families, we can actually um, decrease the um, illness, the level, the level of stress in the mothers or in parents. And, um, and um, prevent a child from becoming institutionalized. Because if the parent gets sick, they can't take care of the kid anymore at home. And then the child is going to end up being institutionalized. So I remember that. So yes, I love it. So that impact on telomeres has an impact on brain aging. And what we know is unfortunately, 70% of new Alzheimer's cases are women. Women are more likely to be the caregivers of uh, elderly parents with dementia. Mm -hmm. And so we want to work really hard to keep our brain healthy And for shorthand, a good way of remembering things, what's good for your heart is usually good for your brain. So when we talk about blood pressure for heart disease, we're also talking about blood pressure for brain. Mm. When we're talking about healthy eating for heart disease, we're also talking about it for brain aging and brain disease. And I'll I'll share with you something that's a little bit amusing, but um, you, you can sort of take it as you will. As men age, they often find their partner is stress reducing. Mm-hmm. And as women age, they often find their partner is stress enhancing. Oh, geez. So you want to be sure that your relationship is not increasing your stress. There you go. There you have it during Valentine's month. That's right. You want to take care of yourself. And again, it's not being selfish to take care of yourself. No, you have to find those things that really enhance your life too. Just little things like journal writing or walking your dog or having that 
you know, night out with friends and it doesn't have to be elaborate. It just needs to be that small something for you. And it, you know, it's not about getting the pedicure either, which is fine if that's what you love to do, but it just needs to be that routine something that you can do all the time. And Annette, that if you, if you package what you've just said, it's, it's often about social connectedness. Social connectedness is really important for brain health because when you're very lonely and isolated, it's much harder on your brain. So social connectedness, what you're doing on your podcast and all the people listening to you who do have caregiving as part of their life, this is so important because they can connect with what's being discussed and that's helpful for brain health. Oh, see friends, I'm doing you a favor by having this podcast out here. I knew I was doing something good. So this is so interesting and just fascinating. And of course I'm running out of time. I always do. I'm having a blast. I wish we had another hour to do the rest of this. Um, there is precious little time. We're down to our last five minutes and I really want to make sure that we touch a tiny, tiny little bit on um, exercise. We didn't really talk about exercise too much. And so many women don't have a lot of time to yeah. exercise, especially as we get older. There's so many responsibilities and, and so little time to fit it all in to the day. And many of us were not really raised with, you know, oh, we're like gonna work out for two hours a day men are like, oh, I'm off to the gym in the morning for two hours, you know, and they can do that because nobody is telling them that they have 12 things to do before they go to work. But we, we have stuff. So, so how do we do it? Unfortunately, hectic is not the same as aerobic. Hmm. I wish it was, but it isn't. So you can be busy and doing the laundry and making the lunches and trying to get everything organized in the house and being on your Zoom calls and doing everything uh, that you possibly can and being really tired at the end of the day. But if you haven't done aerobic exercise, you haven't helped your heart and brain. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage women and what I've done for myself is to get a, a monitor. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say trade names or not, but I use a Fitbit. Yeah, it's um, whatever. It's fine. I got a Fitbit. Some people like an Apple Watch, whatever. You, you want something because I'm a little obsessive compulsive. I like to see what I'm doing. I like to know I'm doing better. And what I found is I would have this incredibly busy day in the office. I'd be room to room with patients all day long. And I'd look at my Fitbit and I hadn't even done 2000 steps in that day. Yeah. What that's helped me do is it's helped me focus on the fact that every second day, it doesn't have to be every day of the week, but every second day, excuse me, I need to manage my time so that I'm able to do that level of aerobic exercise that I know is good for my heart and good for my brain. So I aim for four times a week. Sometimes I manage five. I never manage seven. And whether it's walking outside with a friend, whether it's doing 20 minutes on the stairs in your own house, just going up and down the stairs, mm -hmm. whether it's doing uh, whatever class you like online with whoever you really like to follow, 
If you can start to be consistent, you'll start to see a benefit. And the benefit is more energy, better posture, better blood flow to your brain and better concentration. So and again, better what I said at the beginning, just do one thing, start out slow, make it 15, it's 15 minutes. Oh, you know, the yeah. other 23 and a half hour, 15 or uh, minutes or 30 minutes, the other 23 and a half hours of the day can be involved with family, but give yourself 20 to 30 minutes to do some kind of exercise most days of the week. Mm -hmm. I think there's, that's there's a, totally doable. That, there, that, that's doable for just about everybody. And, and you start to feel like you've done something, something good. I mean, I tell my patients, get a calendar and tick off the days when you've done it. Then you look back at your calendar or show me the calendar because you want to prove to the doctor, yes, I listened. But it's very satisfying when you start to see that, yeah, this is getting a little bit easier. And yes, I did do it four days last week and I'm already up to five days this week. You start to feel a sense of accomplishment and this doesn't cost money. You can just put on running shoes and do the stairs in your own house. Mm -hmm. If you can't get out and you don't have the babysitter and you can't leave somebody alone, but you need to give yourself that 20 to 30 minutes to do that kind of exercise. I have a picture in my book that I, I just want to tell you about. It, it's a really interesting picture of the hippocampus and the hippocampus is the part of the brain that has to do with memory. Mm -hmm. And it shows you blood flow before exercise and blood flow after. Oh, exercise. yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it's, it's just a wonderful graphic PET scan picture that shows you your brain gets better blood flow after you've exercised. Well, that's what we want. Yes, we want that better blood flow. We want to feel good. We want to feel healthy. And so as hectic as my own life is, I understand that it's not aerobic and I have to carve out the time. Well, can I tell you a secret? I'm really, really scared of, of, dementia and losing my brain function as I get older. I think that is just the worst thing that can happen to somebody. And I've seen way too many clients I've seen as a lawyer, and I've seen way too many family members that that's happened to. We, we're living a lot longer now. And um, it's just, oh God, it's it's so sad to see people losing themselves, losing parts of themselves. And yeah, uh, I, I'm so afraid of that happening. And it's, it's frightening. I'm more afraid of that than having a heart attack or a stroke. I really am, you know, I, or getting hit by a car. <laughs> I just really am. And I, um, and, and the things that you talk about in that chapter that we can do to keep our brain strong and healthy, I'm definitely going to do them. And audience, I recommend checking out the book. Dr. Brown's book is really awesome. It's, it's the new woman's guide to healthy aging. And I just really couldn't recommend it more highly. So I would really just check it out. It it's when, when did it, it just got released, right? It's just released. It's on a uh, pre-order on Amazon. It actually starts to get delivered next week. Yay. Awesome. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy. So yes. I got to read it first. Yay. Um, so um, I'll be able to give you a review starting next week, right? Thank you so much. I really appreciate meeting you, Annette. I think the work you do with your organization is amazing. And I think the fact that you have 
shared your, your story is very special because everybody that listens to you understands that you understand from a point of view that's exceptional. Well, this has been fantastic, phenomenal. I wish we had another hour to go through the rest of the chapters because I have so many questions for you. And let me tell you, your patients are so lucky to have you for a doctor. You're amazing. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks for my spending pleasure. Your time with us, Dr. Brown. Really appreciate it. Have a Thank great day. Thank you, Annette. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.